0: This is Speak the Speech, the podcast from Bell Shakespeare. Bell Shakespeare would like to acknowledge that this episode was recorded and produced on the lands of the Gadigal and Wongal people of the Eora Nation. We acknowledge them as the traditional custodians of the land and pay our respects to their elders, past and present.
1: I know a bank where the wild thyme blows, where oxlips and the nodding violet grows, quite overcanopied with luscious woodbine with sweet musk roses and with eglantine. There sleeps Titania, some time of the night, lulled in these flowers with dances and delight. And there the snake throws her enameled skin, weed wide enough to wrap a fairy in. And with the juice of this, I'll streak her eyes and make her full of hateful fantasies. Take thou some of it. And seek through this grove a sweet Athenian lady is in love with a disdainful youth. Anoint his eyes, but do it when the next thing he espies may be the lady. Thou shalt know the man by the Athenian garments he hath on. Effect it with some care that he may prove more fond on her than she upon her love. And look thou meet me ere the first crow.
0: Welcome to Speak the Speech, the podcast from Bell Shakespeare. I'm your host, James Evans, and that was Oberon from Act Two, Scene One of A Midsummer Night's Dream, read by our guest this week. She is a performer, writer and composer whose latest project, The Lovers, will premiere at the Sydney Opera House in October 2022, produced by Bell Shakespeare. She was lyricist and composer for the critically acclaimed Australian musical The Dismissal and the fierce and fabulous immersive dance musical Queen Leah*. She began writing and composing in 2009, creating the music and lyrics for the Channel 9 TV series William & Sparkle's Magical Tales, in which she also starred as Sparkle's The Fairy. She went on to write and compose for several TV programs, including Magical Tales, Surprises, Imagination Train and I Am Me. On stage, she's toured Australia in the role of Tanya in Muriel's Wedding, as well as having originated the role of Janine in its world premiere production. Her other roles include Lenora in Crybaby, The Witch in Into the Woods, Sally Brown in You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown, and Jan in the Australasian tour of Greece. Her next work, Zombie the Musical, will be presented with Hayes Theatre Co in 2023. It is my great pleasure to welcome Laura Murphy. Laura, welcome to Speak the Speech.
1: Thank you. This is a great
0: honour. Laura you, you, you're kidding me. It's an honor to have you. you. You know, Laura, I've there's been a couple of famous people um, being part of this podcast. But when I sit across this table from you, I feel like, you know, in five years time, I'm going to go, oh, my God, <laughs> Laura Murphy was here in this room. We recorded this podcast. With, with this show, The Lovers, I feel like you're about to explode, about to take off. You must be so excited, right?
1: Well, you're incredibly kind to say that. I am so excited mm. and it it has been a really, really long journey to get here and I just can't wait to share this show and this production with people. Mm. I'm so thrilled and I'm honoured to be doing it with Belle Shakespeare as well. I really would have never thought mm. that Belle Shakespeare Company would be interested in this little show where mm. I was, you know, totally rewriting and updating this work i thought surely this is sacrilegious no, you know to yeah, real right. shakespeare fans yeah, but yeah, yeah. i didn't real i didn't anticipate that my sort of ethos and my visions mm. would align so much with bell shakespeare and what they want to achieve with the company and with the future
0: yeah absolutely and and you know we were at the company run just a few days ago on friday and for those listeners who don't know a company run is where the actors and the musicians and uh, the crew put the show on in the rehearsal room just for for the administrators and the company and the and the crew and anyone who's hanging around, really. so it's kind of a raw event. there's no not much costume, not much set. It's just in the rehearsal room. And the buzz in that room was <laughs> incredible. People were so excited. We had a couple of donors for the company coming in. they were they were literally jumping up and down almost out of their skin. Uh, the the uh, the excitement for this show is amazing. and And I think there's a couple of reasons for that. First of all, as you like to say, the the pop bangers that you've written uh, are so infectious. Those tunes just get stuck in your head. And, and <laughs> Earworms. <laughs> absolutely. And I, I want to talk to you about how you write an earworm later on. It's a mystery to me. It's incredible. But then also for those people who love Shakespeare and especially love Midsummer Night's Dream, the show is so steeped in the world of that play, of the characters, of their relationships, that every single moment... Every nuance of the play you've found, you've discovered, and you've kind of exploded out into this wonderful musical. It's not just broad brush stroke stuff. You really delved into the play. Can you tell me a bit about that process and about how that happened?
1: Well, I love I am I love to investigate Mm -hmm. I'm a little bit that way I was never quite academic and I wasn't really good at school like I just couldn't care about when someone was telling me to be interested in something or spend time on something I would feel like how dare you Mm. I'm I don't (laughs) care but when it's something that I care about oh I really go down the rabbit hole and so One of the things that I used to do as a kid while everybody was probably out, you know, in a park somewhere trying beer for the first time or Mm. something, I was at home on my bed laying up looking at the ceiling and listening to albums of songs, you know, mainly uh, singer-songwriters like Joni Mitchell Mm. or Billy Joel, Stevie Wonder, listening to their music and analysing the lyrics and Mm. trying to investigate what is the meaning of these lyrics. And I think that's why I took to Shakespeare a little bit because in a similar way, it allowed me to investigate and to take hints. Mm -hmm. So the process of writing The Lovers really was about finding the hints that Shakespeare had left in there that I can take and expand on. Even in that monologue, Oberon's monologue, I, I love that there's a couple of hints going on there. For the actors, for the directors, for the audience, like the first hint is this is what Oberon's plan is. Mm. We're really like spelling that out. This is the plan. The second hint is the relationship, like mm. Oberon is being so specific with the instructions, yes. is making sure everything is really c- clear, which either speaks to him being a control freak or him <laughs> learning that he has to be be particular because puck Puck always messes it up so it speaks to their dynamic but thirdly it's it uh, it gives the audience a hint into the game that's about to happen where the Mm. audience knows actually there's two kids with Athenian garments on running around the forest and so we then get to be in on the game and the mix-up that's happening later so it's Mm. looking at little hints like that that then I would use as as a springboard to mm. write an entire song mm. based on mm. that moment, that emotion, that piece of development in the plot, the piece of development in the character.
0: Mm. Is, and it's it's amazing. There's moments where you you know kind of just pass us by in the play that you have cracked open. and one of them is Hermia's dream, okay? <laughs> so about halfway through the play. Hermia has a nightmare that a snake has eaten her heart and Lysander is sitting there and laughing at it, right? It's just kind of a a throwaway. That was a nightmare. Then she wakes up Then she sees Lysander's not there and runs after him. You have created not just a musical number but a whole new character in the middle of that (laughs) moment of of this nightmare. You've created a nightmarish scenario and a character of the snake who comes and tells her and, and you've imagined what that nightmare might be, all of her deepest, darkest fears. The eating of the heart is the snake telling her you were never really loved anyway, you, you're you not really a powerful person, Lysander probably loves someone else.
1: And uh, your dad was right. And
0: your dad was right. That's right. I hate to tell, say I, I told you so. That's right. It, it's extraordinary. How did you come up just specifically with that song?
1: Well, when I was going through the... Original text, I was trying to find moments that I felt should be musicalized, or moments that, because, you know, obviously in the original text, Shakespeare has all these other characters that he needs to spend time with, mm-hmm. the Mechanicals, Titania, with the Lovers, I've just got the Four Lovers and Puck and Oberon, so I actually have more time mm-hmm. than Shakespeare got to have with them. So looking at moments that I felt, oh, I think we can go a little further here. Another example of that is Hermia and her dad's relationship. Mm. We don't really get a lot of context as to why their relationship is at, at that point. Yeah. And I saw that as an opportunity to go a little bit further. Why is he like this? Mm. Where are they at? Mm. You know, they've had 16, 17, 18, 25, however old Hermie is, they've had that many years of establishing a relationship together and we're just catching them at this point. So how did they get here? And so looking for those musical moments The snake, even though it's just one one line, she wakes up, oh, I had this nightmare, this snake was eating my heart away and you were laughing at it. Anyway, show moves on. Mm. I was like, wait a second, (laughs) what was this dream? Girl, this sounds crazy. And what would this snake say? And if the snake were to speak and articulate in in a way that modern audiences could understand mm-hmm. and with mm-hmm. a modern perspective, mm. what would that snake say and how would they say it? And for me, I just pictured this incredibly sassy mm-hmm. <laughs> rapping snake Yes, that yep. basically comes along and says, nah, 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 <laughs> you are a mess, check yourself. Yep. You need a massive wake-up call. And it offered so much sort of musical scope for me to play with. I don't want to give too many spoilers away but that definitely was one moment that I thought, is this too much? I can't (laughs) give an entire four minutes to this snake that's just mentioned in one line in the text but that is the fun that I got to have as someone who is reimagining this show. And then in...
0: In a way, it becomes a turning point for Hermia, having had that nightmare and us living that nightmare with her. We understand why she is so panicked and so stressed when she goes running after Lysander and then instead bumps into Demetrius and then has to deal with him. And then you have another incredible song. Well, let's not give too much away <laughs> where the, the the girls are dealing with these douchebags. Um, but uh, uh, Helena is a fascinating character and possibly uh, one of the candidates for lead character in this play, um, and she has an amazing monologue, of course, at the beginning of the play in Shakespeare's text. How happy some or other some can be through Athens! I'm thought as fair as she, where she lays out the problems she's having with her friend Hermia, and of course with Demetrius as well. And I love the way that again you've turned that into a song, but not lot. You've you've got you've kept some of the Shakespeare text. And then you've got a song and then you wrap it with some more of the Shakespeare text as well. But you begin it, instead of how happy some or other some can be, you begin it with how happy are some but how tragic are the others. And she's referring to herself. And then off she goes. Uh, How do you, where where do, (laughs) here's a big question, where do lyrics come from? (laughs) Where do lyrics come from? You're sitting there, you've got the Shakespeare in front of you. Where do those lyrics come from? How do they suggest themselves to you?
1: With Helena, she she is still so relatable that conundrum Mm. of I love him he doesn't love me back is still I mean we have all been a Helena at one point or another I don't Mm. care who you are we've (laughs) all had that unrequited love where we kind of it just we didn't give up until we realized we had to give up but we just kept on at it a Mm. little bit too long Mm. it's still so relatable so I knew that Helena has a total modern voice that can speak to us now yep. and speak to that conundrum. Lyric-wise, I was inspired obviously by the fact that later on she refers to herself as a spaniel. Yeah. I am your spaniel. Mm, mm. And to me that's her sort of journey. She is this puppy dog. He he gives her a little bit of a a little bit of sugar yeah. and like a puppy dog she comes pounding for him pounding toward him and yeah. then he's like, no, go back. Mm, mm. And even the mere fact that she's going to spend the rest of the show chasing him through the forest, I knew that that was my in with her for her to sort of be aware mm. of the fact that she is this big puppy dog. So I've called the song Chasing My Tail mm. as the hook where she basically says, chasing my tail, running in circles and I'm getting nowhere fast. Mm. And it was important to me that Helena was aware of who she is rather than clueless. Mm -hmm. I wanted to give her a little bit more agency and autonomy as to her story. I know I'm this way. I read all the love stories and yeah. saw all the rom-coms and they told me that keep keep going and eventually he'll come around, mm-hmm. take your glasses off and he'll double take and be like, oh, is that you, Helena? Yeah, You've been yeah. beautiful this whole time. Yeah. How did I not see it? She <laughs> believes that that ending to her story is mm-hmm. still coming mm-hmm. so that otherwise she's just, you know, this fool who keeps n- not taking no for an answer and I didn't want that. I wanted her ha- to have a little more of that gumption. Mm. Mm. To answer your question about lyrics, where do lyrics come from? I wish I knew because then it would make <laughs> writing much easier. Right. I don't know how it happens. I go into like, I see white and wake up 12 hours later and there's a song and I don't remember how it wow. got there.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And it, then it feels like it was just always there. Like when yeah. when the song is finished, you're like, oh, it was always that lyric that followed that lyric that ended in that rhyme where the melody went there and yeah. it just feels like it all was always existing but there was a time where it didn't exist and it was just one choice after another.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm. What, what is the first melodic interval that we start this song with and what's that? what is that? Evoking emotionally, yes. That's one choice. Then the next choice is what's the word that attaches to that melody, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it's just a process of choices. Yeah. And it kind of is this. It, it I can't really grasp yeah. it. Yep. Yep. But when you've grasped it, you know. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and then when you sit down to write your next song. A, a few days later, it's like starting again. Oh, my goodness, how do you write a song? How did I ever <laughs> write a lyric before? I don't that's know where to start.
0: And then all of a sudden.
1: And then and then a week a later that later, song is finished. That's and that's just been the process for like the last, you know, 12 to 15 years of me writing this thing has been, okay, so I should have a song here for this moment between Lysander and Hermia where they're deciding to run away. Great. Mm what do I call that song? Oh, my goodness, what is this song about? I always talk about the nugget of the song, like yeah. what is like the core that the song is stemming from and that needs to, for me, that needs to then be the hook, the lyrical hook that the song stems from. Mm. So in that example of Lysandra and Hermia, Let's Run Away, I've called that song start over because that's what they want to do. They just want to clean the slate and have a fresh start. Mm-hmm. Start over speaks to where they're at and then the song then the you know tree the branches grow from that mm. one seed.
0: Yeah, this is fascinating. I I have and I've heard other musicians and and creative people and artists talk about that moment of creation kind of almost having to get out of the way of it in a way, that you know, get themselves out of the way so that they, they can become a channel for that creativity in a way. Mm. Once you've got that core idea then it just sort of flows and comes. Um, that, that's amazing. So, the, So you're saying the music comes first?
1: It works either way. Sometimes the chord progressions and the melodies come first mm-hmm. and sometimes the lyric comes first but definitely more often than not, it's the lyrical hook that comes first. If I know, okay, this song is called Chasing My Tail, this Mm -hmm. is what it's about, I'm chasing my tail and I'm getting nowhere, then that tells me, okay, if this is where she's at, so there's a self-awareness to her, there's a I'm going for this, there's gumption what then what what rhythm does that song fit into mm, mm. if i have it have it sit back in this sort of way mm. if it's sitting back it says i know what this looks like but i'm comfy in myself okay. and i'm still going after him mm-hmm. so the hook then inspires the the feel and the rhythms mm-hmm. and the tempo
0: yes yeah
1: and then, then the melody speaks to whatever the lines are saying, whatever, um, how you would speak it, I, I guess. Mm, mm. One little sort of recurring motif is nailed it. Yes, yes. I just did a terrible <laughs> singing version of that. <laughs> nailed it. Um, which to me if you say nailed it, nailed it. Yep. That's where the melody feels like it needs to go. So it's also sort of connecting it with the speech and the natural rhythm and pitch, pitch pattern of saying of these saying words. It.
0: Yeah, right. Okay, that's extraordinary. And in terms of intervals between notes, you know, da 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 like you know, that, that that is a very catchy melody. Mm. Once once I've heard it once. Like that's it. I, I think I heard it for the first time, you know, last year and I haven't been able to get it out of my head ever since. <laughs> I mean that, that and four or five other songs from the musical. Do you consciously set out to write a catchy tune or is that just something that's in you or or is it something about the intervals of the note of the notes that do that?
1: Well, yeah, I suppose with pop music it it is f- like it has a familiarity to it mm. the the song goes where you naturally want it to go that's mm-hmm. why it feels mm-hmm. so good mm-hmm. um, and when the song is complete it seems so easy oh yeah. like oh it's just a pop song but actually i think that there is there's real form in allowing the song to go where it feels right to go. So just before you said getting out of its way, mm. it is a little bit like that with where the melodies are going. Mm. It mm. feels... Da, 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 da. I want to repeat that. Da, mm. da, 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 da. I want to repeat it because this is a song about going in circles. Mm. So I'm going to go back to that melody wow, yeah. Yeah. and allowing, you know, not being afraid of... of Repeating certain motifs and stuff like that so that the audience can let it wash over them. Mm, mm. You don't want them to have to think too much. And that's why it pairs so beautifully with Shakespeare because there is a lot of information. There's a lot of things to latch on for your ear to latch onto as mm. an audience. So the respite of the song being like the audience can just absolutely let down their defences, whether they know this story or not, whether they know the difference between thou and thy,
0: Mm,
1: mm, (laughs) they mm. are going to understand the emotion that this song is trying to evoke and they're going to let it wash over them, around them, within them Mm. and that's the beauty of pop music. So trying to get out of the way of where the song wants to go Mm, is mm. a part of that process as well as instinctively knowing what's an what's an audience going to want to feel next mm. what's the what does the ear want it to do
0: you're listening to speak the speech the podcast from bell shakespeare i'm james evans and with me today is laura murphy laura when did you first hear about Shakespeare? Do you remember when you were at school? Were you? I mean you said you weren't much of a school student, you, you didn't really care about um, stuff like that at school but do you remember the first time you encountered it?
1: I can't remember like the first time that I heard of Shakespeare. I just feel like he is a presence that we all just know yeah. and he <laughs> to a young person, is an intimidating presence.
0: Yeah,
1: it yeah, can be, sure. I, you know, I was like, oh, that's for smart cultured people, mm-hmm. not for people like me. And so I, I definitely put him up on a pedestal and was totally intimidated by him. But I wanted to perform and when I was 15 in high mm. school they were doing A Midsummer Night's Dream as, a, as the production it wasn't within the school curriculum, so it was just if you wanted to do it or not. And I knew I wanted to perform. Yeah, but yeah. I was like, "Oh, why does it have to be that Shakespeare fella? <laughs> it's so tricky. I don't know how to do it." Um, I auditioned anyway, and I remember, rather than most other uh, ways that I would struggle with learning at school in in what in whatever sort of subject, I did kind of feel like I. I get this because I get the poetry and mm-hmm. I get the mm-hmm. rhythms and I get the rhymes mm-hmm. and I get, I spend my time interpreting the lyrics of songs to find its meaning. Mm-hmm. So, all I've got to do is do this decoding thing yeah. to yep. find out what the meaning of this sen- sentence is to make sense to me. And so I got in the show.
0: Yeah.
1: I played the character of flute.
0: Wow. Yeah. And <laughs> had
1: the best time and my my best friend actually got Hermia and she was just really overwhelmed by the whole idea and there, she was like there's so many lines. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I'd sit with her and we'd go through each of the lines and and we would sort of try to work out what it meant. Mm. And I remember how empowering that felt as a young person to be like, oh, I'm not an absolute fool. I can grasp (laughs) something that I thought was out of my reach. If I'm patient and if I I give it the time, um, I can do it.
0: So you guys were working it out together um, by yourselves. Was there much support from the teachers and? The- oh yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: There were two great drama teachers who were like co-directing it, mm. and my sister, who is incredibly smart, my older sister, she was playing bottom oh, wow. and killed Fine. it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so she would also sort of help as well, and yeah, it was a very sort of collaborative and open discussions sort of rehearsal. And, and then the production, you know, went off like a frog in a sock. All mm. the parents absolutely <laughs> loved it. And that's where I started dreaming up the idea for The Lovers. Then so you and were
0: 15. And I was thought, 15. There's got to be a musical about this.
1: Absolutely. Wow. I just... Yeah, I thought these characters, like particularly these four young lovers, I mean I was a teenager so I was having a new crush every week. Of course those were the ones that I found most relatable. Mm -hmm. I was like what the heck, I still know these kids. I still know a Lysander who wants to like protect his girlfriend and like be the knight in shining armour for his princess and feels like that's his role. Mm. And I know the Hermia who totally like abandons all her family and friends once she's got a boyfriend. Um, You know, I obviously know the Helena or have been her many times or the commitment. Phobe Demetrius yeah. I know these kids or Shokora perhaps I identify with some of these traits within mm. myself mm-hmm. isn't it amazing that 400 years later young young kids when it comes to romantic love we're still doing the same thing yeah, yeah. so yeah. if if these kids have been living inside this text the way it is for four hundred years, mm. if I could give them a new voice yeah. and give them a brand new way to communicate, mm. which is through music, what would they say? Mm. And so, the lovers was born. So,
0: were you writing pop songs when you were fifteen? You were, you were
1: absolutely wow. yeah. I was a
0: oh
1: f- folk, folk, pop, acoustic, yeah, sort of songs. I was a, I was a little mini Avril Lavigne back then. Yeah,
0: cool. You played guitar, piano. You
1: played guitar. You know poorly I yeah I would just learn what I needed to learn to be able to write to basically Mm. on piano and guitar and some of the songs that still remain in the show I wrote when I was like 18.
0: No kidding really so it's been that stretch because I know that some of them you wrote only just very recently so it's Mm. been that whole yeah it's been
1: basically my my late teenage years to my late 20s and there were some songs that I wrote when I was 18 that perfectly captured that young love thing that that I didn't want to rewrite yeah. or others that I looked at when I was, you know, in my late 20s. Other songs that I wrote in my early 20s, I, I looked at them and said, "No, I had no idea.
0: Oh, I actually okay.
1: did not understand the complexities. Now I'm a bit wiser.
0: Mm-hmm, <laughs>
1: hopefully, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I've learned so much more, and now I actually know what's going on here, or what needs to be said, or what a more mature perspective of of that is. Mm. So for though, you know, for my my early to mid twenties, you know, I was massively just obsessed with the lovers and and psychoanalyzing them and trying to work them out yeah. and giving them that voice." But in my late 20s, that's where I really found more in Puck and Oberon. Oh, yeah,
0: yeah. yeah.
1: And gave them more time Mm -hmm. and they were really the key to thread everything together and thread my my perspective now.
0: So Puck and Oberon are an interesting pair of characters in your play and they help to drive that exploration of the theme of what romantic love is. Oberon is is trying to get to the heart of it, has been, you know, meddling with romantic love for hundreds and thousands of years. He's, he's a fairy who's, who's immortal perhaps. Um, so what does he discover? What is romantic love?
1: Well, yeah, Oberon like is the embodiment of romance mm. and is like this, magical matchmaker, all-seeing, alien from outer space sort of king. Um, And what was interesting is because I was, when writing it, I just really wanted to keep it to an intimate six-hander. But Titania kept getting in the way for me because that is a little bit of an impetus for Oberon's story. The Mm -hmm. first reason why he wants to get Get the the flower flower, is to, you know, is to basically play a trick on Titania because he's angry at her. Mm-hmm. Um, so without her, what is the reason why this whole journey begins? Um, what is the reason why he gets the flower? So losing, making the decision to lose Titania to ended up being the best choice because it found an entire other reason why Oberon is so desperate mm. to make this happy ending work for these young kids. Mm, mm. And the rest you'll have to find out when you when come and see the show. you come and see and the, the show,
0: show. that's <laughs> right. Laura's twist on A Midsummer Night's Dream. You know, I feel like... What, what are your hopes for the lovers? Because I feel like just sitting there in that rehearsal room, I felt like we are at the beginning of something big and that this could really go international, it could go anywhere. It's a universal story. It's about people, it's about love, it's it's about magic and it's got such infectious pop music in it. What are your hopes for this show?
1: We're about to go into tech, mm. so my hopes are let's get to opening night.
0: Okay, good.
1: <laughs> and but my bigger ambitions my bigger picture ambitions i mean we had in an australian musical theatre because this is a new australian musical is, yeah. you know more than it is an adaptation it's a new musical of it it's is. Yeah. fully coated in music mm-hmm. and original lyrics and an original score yeah. and we we are still new at that in australia in mm. a lot of ways we hun- you know we're like 100 years behind broadway and we're doing amazing things with our Australian creatives. We have a we have a history of taking either particularly British or American musicals, mm. bringing them here yeah, from yeah. the minds of international creatives, and we honor those shows here in their accents, with their you mm. know direction, their staging, mm. their concepts. And wouldn't it be nice if it were flipped? Mm. Like I just feel like we're ready. Our Australian creatives here, Sean Rennie, our, our fantastic director mark howell our designer all of these incredible australian creatives wouldn't it be nice if their work were honored overseas mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and this is the type of show that is it just is so accessible for anybody it is this common theme of love it's like a thing that It doesn't matter how, like humans are so incredibly divisive, we can never, you know, agree on anything. (laughs) And yet since the dawn of time, we've all been fascinated by this idea of love. Mm. So much art and, you know, stories and songs are written about the subject, trying to work it out. You know, science tries to work it out. Yes, yes. (laughs) So it is this thing that really does connect us all. Paired with this guy Shakespeare that we've all agreed is a real good writer, <laughs> paired with this story that feels familiar to us and then paired with accessible pop songs. Yep.
0: yep. It
1: is the type of show that could be seen anywhere and could speak to anyone yeah. or at least that's what I hope. That's my dream. Mm. So mm. I really would love the show to be seen across Australia and have m- more audiences and and young people seeing it and hopefully then be seen abroad. Mm. But when I started writing the show, obviously I I wanted to write it because when I was 15 I just remember how I just thought, wouldn't it be nice if I could write a musical that like offered young people the same empowerment that I'm feeling right now. If you can get this too, don't be scared of this guy. Don't be scared of language. Don't be scared of stories. Mm. You can you can understand it too because it's just about humans and communicating and feelings. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and that's where the show began but as I've been throughout the last few years of workshopping and developing it and having more mature audiences mm-hmm. come and view it. What I actually hope the show will do is bridge the gap between older generations and younger generations, talking about this common theme, Mm. not just demystifying Shakespeare for young people but demystifying young people for older generations (laughs) (laughs) because they also may need their own decoding and interpreting and remind us of this shared experience Mm. so Mm. that perhaps as we guide young people around the corners of romantic love mm, that we we appreciate the, the responsibility that comes with that and like remember what it felt like it to like. be to have that first love. Yeah and yeah. be yeah be deep in puppy love.
0: Yeah, of course, of course. And you obviously have been so so close to this project for so many years. What's it like to hand over some of that to other creative people like Sean, the director you mentioned, Marg, the designer. What does that feel like?
1: It is very, very bizarre, <laughs> and I, I, it's just the best team. Mm. Like the uh, Sean Rennie, Andrew Warboys, the musical director, Yvette, lead the choreographer. The, the entire team. I just trust and respect so much. Yeah, yeah. That even in the scariest times where i just felt like i like had to you know had to let go of this baby i have just been able to fully surrender to yeah. their ownership of it taking ownership of what they needed to take ownership of so that the story the re, the story is not just a dream or not just on the page mm. but on the stage It's been a thrilling and just full a whole emotional journey that I didn't expect. Mm. Um, I can only imagine how Shakespeare would be feeling if he was still alive today, (laughs) seeing me come along, being like, "That's nice, Shakespeare." But here's what (laughs) I think: I I like to think that he would love it. I'd like to think, surely. I hope so. I I'd (laughs) like to think that he would love. You know, popular culture of today and be like, yes, let's do this. You kids, you tell this story now.
0: (laughs) I think that's absolutely right, certainly. And, you know, he was writing about young people and young people, you know, or human beings, full stop, haven't really changed in all that time. You know, he's what he's saying about us and who we are is, you know, is universal and will always be true, I think. You're obviously. I mean right now in the midst of The Lovers but you've got a whole bunch of other musicals under your belt as well and you're writing one about zombies, Zombie the Musical, which is yeah. coming up and that sounds fantastic, I can't wait, um, at the Hayes Theatre next year. Um, but COVID was was tough on artists, on independent artists in particular. Uh, I know that Queen Leah's entire season of the festival was cancelled mm-hmm. Um uh, the dismissal, I think, was going to be on, and also got cancelled. Is that right?
1: Yep, we were we were going to open at the Opera House, at the as, Opera well, house as well, and yeah. w- yep, again cancelled.
0: So, how did you how did you find your resilience through that period? Because that that is, you know, it, it's just it was an unbelievable time, especially for independent artists.
1: Yeah, I it was incredibly tough, but. For me, and I know everyone responded differently and particularly artists responded differently, some artists just felt totally unmotivated like what's the point? Mm. But for me it really did light a fire under my butt because I I thought okay,
0: okay,
1: am I allowed to say butt? Of course. <laughs> <laughs> well, it did. It lit a fire under my butt. <laughs> and because I, you know, the existential kind of crisis of it, I thought, well, my gosh, I've been working on The Lovers since I was 15 and it's still sitting in a drawer. Mm. <sighs> Laura, do do it, do it. Yep. I'm quite an unmotivated. I'm a great procrastinator.
0: No,
1: I know what? people that have met me in the last few years think you're crazy. are you like, talking about, I, but it is true. I am. That's I'm a naturally lazy person. My family will tell you that, but but I. I just feel like I've, I've waited so long and the, the, for a second there we weren't sure if we were going to have a tomorrow and now that at least I know I do have a tomorrow, we have a tomorrow, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I am just ploughing on through and just finishing things. No one finished business and, yeah, yeah, and yeah. the lovers were sitting in a drawer, basically fully complete, yep. so I said oh, let's just get a few friends together Let's do a workshop, like a music workshop, just sing through the songs. I'll invite some theatre companies to come along Mm -hmm. and they can watch where it's at. I'll just focus on act one rather than trying to do the whole thing in Mm -hmm. three days. Mm -hmm. And... That's when Belle Shakespeare was first introduced to the lovers, seeing that workshop. And it was the best thing that I ever did. So, anyone else that is a a nice, lazy procrastinator like me, stop it. Stop it. it. Do it. Just do do it.
0: it. Do it. Uh, Laura, what a great note to end on! You know, it's been such a pleasure ta- talking to you today. But before we go, it's time for the final five. Here we go: five quick questions, yep. five quick answers. Uh, number one: Are you Laura Murphy, the lover, the villain, or the fool?
1: I probably am the fool, but i I have played a few villains in my life, you have? or a villainous fool, Villains? like a lo- a lovable ah. villain.
0: Okay, a lovable villainous fool. If, if that
1: yeah, <laughs> they can all be a mixed together. A little smorgasbord.
0: <laughs> For sure. What do you think is your most underrated Shakespeare play?
1: Well, it's it'll it will sound weird, but I think a Midsummer Night's Dream. Now mm. people love it, obviously. It yep. is incredibly beloved, but I think people see it as oh that frivolous fun one yeah. with the yep. but because yep. I've spent so much time with it, I I do appreciate that there are so many layers so many more layers and nuance and mm. and, and darkness and pain and observance of the human condition yeah. that that I reckon people don't yeah. appreciate as much as they probably should it's not that's just great. that fun one
0: That's great and and that's all in the lovers I love that Who's your favorite artist you'd love to work with who you haven't worked with already
1: Well, Virginia Gay. So I have you two not worked together? Well, we've done little snippets as actors together, readings Mm -hmm. and stuff like that, but not as me being a writer and and her being a performer, but it is on the to-do list and it will happen by God.
0: That's a dream team. Awesome. (laughs) Hey, what's the dream Shakespeare role that you would love to play one day?
1: Do you know I would love to do bottom, I must say. Yeah, okay,
0: your sister nailed it. (laughs) It's your turn now.
1: I feel like, yeah, in 15 years' time... I think there might be a bottom there okay. if someone would have me.
0: <laughs> Did your sister end up in the performing arts as well?
1: She ended up in, uh, as a producer of television, oh, so yeah. Yeah. definitely still within the arts um, mm-hmm. and she will tell you that she's taught me everything I know about I'm, I'm sure. performing and yeah. writing.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and finally, Laura, if you weren't an artist, composer, musician, actor, singer, what do you think you'd be doing?
1: I'd be teaching for sure, which actually I was doing for years while acting. Mm -hmm. You know, I had the B job as we call it. Um, Between shows I would be teaching and teaching in school. I was a drama teacher for kindergarten to year two with like in the curriculum, doing the parent-teacher interviews, doing the school reports Mm -hmm. and I loved it. Mm -hmm. It was Mm. one of the only other jobs I've done where I went home and I just felt like there was a point to today and oh, I wow, and I great. did something yeah. I did something meaningful and it brought me a lot of joy mm. so mm. I I really do think that's still in my future
0: Laura, what a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me today on Speak the Speech.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Now, just before we wrap up today's episode, a bit of podcast cross-promotion. I want to tell you about a show I think you'll enjoy, dear listeners. It's called Play On Podcasts, epic audio adventures that adapt and reimagine Shakespeare's timeless tales featuring original music and the voices of award-winning actors. Each episode explores plays from Macbeth to A Midsummer Night's Dream in a way that's easy to understand and created specifically for the podcast form by some of America's most exciting playwrights, directors and composers. Hear Shakespeare like you've never heard it before. You can subscribe to Play On Podcasts wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks, as always, for joining me on Speak the Speech, produced by Bell Shakespeare and edited by Camillo Zanoni. Bell Shakespeare is Australia's national Shakespeare company. We perform in theatres and schools in every state and territory. If you'd like to support our work or to learn more about what we do, please visit bellshakespeare.com.au. Follow us on social media and don't forget to subscribe, rate and review our podcast through your listening platform.